Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I love it when things come out during the early part of the meeting that reinforce what God's put on my heart to share with you. Because this morning we're taking a brief pause from our series that came out of Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to pick up again with it in January, looking at the issue of power. But this week you're getting a week off. Because... Here we are in December. It's the third Sunday in Advent. And that means there's only one more Sunday between now and Christmas. The time when as Christians we traditionally celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now just a time for some honesty. How many of you have got an Advent calendar? I thought a few of you would. If you hadn't got one for yourself, I'd be surprised if a few of you didn't have them for your kids. Now, just out of interest, what sort of themes do they depict? Ben 10 and Hannah Montana. Ben 10 and Hannah Montana. Okay. Sorry? Winnie the Pooh, slightly younger age group. You've got one with a nativity. <laughs> Two. Two. What's yours, Rach? Chocolate, isn't it? It's Mars. When I, when I caught a glimpse of it, all I could see all over it was Mars. So, I think it's uh, celebrating the birth of chocolate. Do you know, there was a time when Advent calendars were all about the nativity and they didn't have chocolate in them or toys stuck to the front. Instead, you got excited about opening the little cardboard window on the front to find out whether you had a picture of an angel or a shepherd. And when it got to Christmas Eve, there were two doors to open. Because what you opened up was the front of the stable and it completed the picture of the nativity. Because that is what Advent is all about. It's about getting ready for his arrival. Now these days, Advent seems to bring two conflicting pressures. On the one hand, it starts to warn us that There's only about 11 days or so to do your shopping before Christmas. And with the ever-increasing commercialism, that's bound to add an element of stress. When you find out that the website that you were going to get your mother's present from has now gone out of stock. On the other hand, for those who can't wait, who are eagerly anticipating their presence, With Advent 
starting this year on the 29th of November, Christmas could have seemed like a long way off. Whichever of those two camps you fall into, we have it easy. The Jews had been waiting for centuries. Isaiah spoke about the coming Messiah 750 years or so before he was born. And can you imagine how it must have felt for them waiting for their Messiah? Knowing that he would come from that time of Isaiah onwards for 700 or more years, never knowing whether he'd come in your lifetime. In fact, it's the writings of these prophets, the messianic prophecies, that are one of the ways that we use to prove the authenticity of Scripture. Because how else, other than through prophetic revelation, could so much have been foretold so accurately so many centuries before Jesus was born? And whatever doubts people might have about the original manuscripts that we don't have, there is something beyond a doubt. And that's this. Roughly 270 years before Jesus was born, a panel of 72 Jewish scholars got together. And what they did was they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And that document is still in existence. And it's named after the Greek word for 70. In fact, there were 72. Why they called it the Septuagint after 70, I don't know. But it's called the Septuagint after the 70 scholars who worked on it. And so without any doubt at all, we know beyond any doubt that those Old Testament writings were complete more than 270 years before Jesus was born. And yet they contain over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. And that was outside of anyone's control. What I want us to do this morning is we're just going to look at about 20 of these prophecies. I don't know why, because I'm usually, when I normally prepare what I'm going to talk about, I know what the end point's going to be. But I just think God's going to do something this morning, and I'm not quite sure what. So I'm just going to be faithful to what I feel he wants me to talk about, and we'll see where it goes. So, what is it that the Old Testament has us looking for? Firstly, there is a big body of prophecy that is all about Jesus' birth. A number of them relate to the fact that he was going to be part of David's family. You can find these in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16, in Psalm 89, verses 3 to 4, Psalm 110, verse 1, Psalm 132, verse 11, Isaiah 9, verse 6, Isaiah 11, verse 1. I'm just going to pick one of those out. 
You'll know it, you'll recognise it, I'm sure. It's one of the most famous ones and it comes from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty would accomplish this. If you look in the New Testament, what you will then find is the genealogies that are in both Matthew and in Luke trace the ancestry of Jesus back to David. They actually show two different lines of genealogy and that's not a mistake. That's because they were addressing different audiences. Matthew, who was writing primarily for the Jews, was tracing back Jesus' legal heritage. So he looked at where Joseph came from. Whereas Luke, who was writing for the Greek, was looking at Jesus' bloodline. And so he was concerned with where Mary came from. But what you find in both those genealogies is whether you trace Jesus back through Mary, through his bloodline, or through Joseph, through his legal status, you come to the throne of David. Just as Isaiah had foretold. And then as early as Genesis chapter 3, we read that he would be born of a virgin. Again, one of the most famous passages is in Isaiah 7, verse 14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And in Luke 1, we read of how Mary, a virgin conceived through the action of the Holy Spirit and as a result Jesus was born. Another prophet, Micah, he foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem. You can find that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from the ancient of times. Now I find that one quite interesting. Because it is very hard to control where you're going to be born. I don't know about you, your parents might have had it all planned. Being a third child and having come along somewhat unexpected, um, 
my mother was somewhat surprised some months into her pregnancy to find out she was once again expecting. And then I was born six weeks premature as well. So it was one of the shortest pregnancies on, on record, I believe. And um, I very nearly got born in Eastbourne. They managed to keep me inside for a little bit longer and my mother got back home to Southampton from where she'd been on holiday. But I couldn't control where I was going to be born. In fact, my mother almost couldn't control where I was going to be born. And I ended up being born in our house. They thought I was going to need to be taken to hospital. And in fact, my mother tells a very good story about how being very small, because I was six weeks premature, a very large ambulance driver carried me in one hand out to the ambulance to take me to hospital. And yet in Luke 2, we read that God has it in hand. He's planned it. We've been singing this morning about the fact that our God reigns. And as I said earlier, he reigns whether we recognise it or not. Because what happened was it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first sentence, sentence. Sorry, could someone get me a cup of water? This was the first census that took place while <coughs> Quinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. For all we know, Mary may have planned a nice quiet birth in Nazareth. But history tells us that it was to be otherwise. A Roman governor decided that they should move for a census. And so they had to return to their hometown, their family's hometown, which was Bethlehem. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem, exactly as Micah had foretold. Hosea saw something else in Hosea 11 verse 1. He foretells that Jesus would spend an early part of his life in Egypt. And in Matthew 2, thank you, we read about the visit of the Magi, the wise men. And it says in verse 13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. 
And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. That refers to that passage in Hosea 11. It was foretold that he would live in Galilee. You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 9 and the opening verses of that chapter. It says, Nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he, lamb, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of the Neptali. But in the future he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. And in Isaiah 11, the prophecy becomes even more specific. He says, in Nazareth. Isaiah and Malachi both saw something else as well. They both foretold that Jesus would be announced by a herald. And in fact, they likened that herald to Elijah. They talked about the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And in Luke 1, we read how Zechariah prophesied over John the Baptist. And he said, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then we know that John the Baptist did exactly that. Jeremiah foresaw that the birth of Jesus would cause a massacre. The massacre of the children of Bethlehem. You'll find that in Jeremiah 31. And in Matthew 2 we read... When Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he'd learnt from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So much was foretold about the manner and the circumstances of his birth. even more was foretold about his ministry. Isaiah in uh, chapter 58 told of the fact that he would proclaim jubilee to the world. And then in Luke 4 you read this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues and everyone praised him. 
He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it he found a place where it is written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. But his ministry wasn't just going to be for the Jews. His mission was as much for the Gentiles as it was for the Jews. Isaiah saw that. There's a number of passages. One is in Isaiah 42. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he won't snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. He talks about the nations. It talks about the islands. But equally Isaiah saw something more. Because in another passage he goes on to talk about the fact that it would have been too small a thing for Jesus to have come only for the tribe of Jacob. Isaiah foresaw that his ministry would be one of healing. In Isaiah 53 he wrote, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He saw that he would teach through parables. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. He saw that he'd be disbelieved and even rejected by those in authority. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then, yet more prophecies talk about the manner of his death. The fact that he would make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Zechariah saw that. You'll read about it in Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, 
on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. It was seen in advance that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah saw it. In Zechariah 11 it says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And in the Psalms we read in Psalm 41, Even my close friend who I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted his heel up against me. The psalmist also foresaw that he'd be given vinegar and bitter gall. You can find that in Psalm 69. In Psalm 22, you will see that it was foretold that they would cast lots over his clothes. And they would divide his clothing between them. In Psalm 22... It's made clear that his hands and his feet would be pierced, implying crucifixion. So which psalm is that? Um, The crucifixion, Psalm 22, verse 16. And in Psalm 34, but not a bone of his body would be broken. Isaiah foresaw that he would die amongst criminals. And in Psalm 22 and in Psalm 31, even his very words as he died on the cross were foretold. In Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from the words of my groaning. And in Psalm 31, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. So with all this, Having been seen before Jesus was born. With all that having come true. Peter was confronted with a question. Jesus said to him. Peter who do you say I am? And Peter responded in the only way he could. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now in a week or so's time, we have the opportunity... To celebrate 
the birth of Jesus. But we're not celebrating the birth of some unknown baby in a remote land who lived and died for no purpose. We're celebrating a gift. The greatest gift of all time. It's a gift that God gave to men. And it's the gift of life. It's the gift of life for all eternity. And it's through the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of God's own son. Jesus and it is a gift that was planned from the very dawn of time it's not something that happened 2,000 years ago it's something that's been in the planning throughout the millennia there's two things that I just want to say. And the first is this. In the midst of the fun and the excitement and the gifts and the traditions, let's not forget to thank God for all that he has done this Christmas. And the second is this. And it's what's been coming out during the morning. And that is, God reigns. Our God reigns. He reigns whether we're interested in that fact or not. His kingdom is advancing. And it will advance whether people take note of that or not. And we all have a choice. We can be passive or we can be active in that. We can take note of the kingdom advancing or we can just let it go on and ignore it. But he has a plan and a destiny for each of our lives. This is what he thinks of when he looks at you. Guys, you might find this difficult to relate to. But believe me, this applies to you too. Okay? Just the way it's written, women find it easier to understand. But this is what our God feels when he looks at you. You have captured my heart. My sister my bride you have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes with one jewel of your necklace how beautiful is your love my sister my bride how much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice 
a picture of a man looking at his bride. You can imagine it, that glance of the eyes, maybe even across a crowded room, but having caught each other's eyes, he's captivated. And that is how our God feels about each of us. Just one glance of your eyes is enough to steal his heart. Give him a little time this Christmas. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 